Aloha everyone, I'm your host Christina Laney Mitri with Smart Living Hawaii's podcast where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. Today's podcast is brought to you by Bento Homes here in Hawaii in this little ADU here where we're at. And we will be covering some of the most maybe controversial topics with keeping our oceans clean. Our guest today is Kahi Pakaro, the Executive Director and one of the founders of Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii. He is here to share more about what many don't know, but what we should know about our oceans. Okay, and Kahi, thank you for joining us today. And please share with everyone a little bit more about yourself. Okay, well, first off, thanks for having me here. This place is pretty awesome. Um, about myself, before we dive into Sustainable Coastlines, a local boy raised in Kailua, Hawaii, uh, went away for college and stayed away for a while. Uh, Where'd you go? I went to school in San Diego and um, kind of stuck around that zone for about 10 years. I uh, came back and got into, um, I guess, taking what I learned in, in San Diego, uh, which was real estate development and finance, brought it back home um, and uh, just did that for a few years. It was really successful. And then in the last uh, real estate crash, I... Um, didn't have a job, and I went traveling for two years and came back a changed man. Where'd you go? 26 countries, uh, and um, a lot of the countries multiple times. Um, really fell in love with Indonesia a lot, um, so really used that as a home base to do a lot of our travels. Um, went to New Zealand, I think, three times, and um, yeah, just, just really... Went all over the place, mostly the third world countries because we were trying to do it on the, the affordable uh, style. Was it a group of you or you just went? Yeah, a group of me and my wife. Oh, awesome. Girlfriend at the time. Um, she definitely proved herself. It was about me proving myself I was husband worthy. So <laughs> glad I passed that test. Awesome. And then what led you to uh, Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii? So during that travel, uh, we participated in a cleanup in New Zealand where this group called Sustainable Coastlines took us on a ferry across to the Great Barrier Island with a couple hundred people. And we did a cleanup in the afternoon. And then that night, they threw a big raging kegging, kegger uh, with live music, etc. It was an How awesome... How old were you at that time? I was 29. I think I was 30. Okay. Only 29, 30. Um, and that night, we all just had such a great time. Uh, most people passed out. A, a dude passed out on my wife and I, like, seriously, <laughs> had to push him off of us. Um, but when we woke up, the place was spotless. It was, like, clean. And, like, we were just shocked that if you could just be conscious about the way you were partying, so there were, like, no single-use plastic cups, no single-use plastics anywhere, you could have a good time without making a mess. Mm -hmm. um, that really stuck with us. It wasn't like we were going to come home and do anything about it, but it just like stuck with us that you didn't have to be um, impacting the environment so much while having a good time. Um, so that stuck with us. And a few months later when we were back home, because this was towards the end, end of our travels, um, the Sustainable Coastlines guys from New Zealand reached out and said, hey, we're coming to Hawaii. Do you guys have any suggestions of what we should do, what, what, where we should stay? And we were like, you're staying with us. And um, they just really rubbed off a lot on us in the few few uh, weeks they stayed with us. Um, but the most uh, influential point was when we went to go to Kailua Beach, where I grew up, I wanted to show them how the community did a really good job of keeping the beach clean and that I thought that the beaches were clean. So I took them to our spot 
And I'm like, look, boys, the beach is clean. And they're like, are you kidding me? Like, look at your feet. I look down and there's microplastics, like confetti little pieces everywhere. Exactly. And I like, I was just so used to just walking to a beach and just like staring at the horizon, looking at the waves, looking at the surfers, figuring out where I was going to surf and what, what the ocean was doing that I wasn't looking straight down at the main problem and plastic pollution is plaguing our coastlines and it's getting worse. And I was like, if I'm not recognizing this, how many other people... And you're always on the beach, right? So... I, I, I based you got a pretty on my, good tan. I'm tan, just assuming it, you probably surf I do, and I do spend a lot of time on the beaches and in the water. Um, probably up there in the top five in the state of Hawaii, people <laughs> out there cleaning beaches, uh, um, spending time imagine. cleaning them. Um, so, yeah, I, I do get this tan. Um, otherwise, I'd be pretty white. Probably not, but uh, yeah. so the tan, the tan definitely has a lot to do with my career. Um, so it was at that point of like seeing that this problem uh, was right here at our own front doorsteps, and me not recognizing it was like, if I'm not recognizing it, very few others are as well. Let's do something about this. So I was like, boys, what do you think about starting at Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii? They're like, oh, I thought you'd never ask, but yes, let's make this happen. So is there ties between New Zealand? and Hawaii. There are definitely ties from a philosophical and a community standpoint, but there's no financial ties. Um, what they said when we were getting going was, we will provide you with everything we have in here. You and know, how like, long were they established? They'd been established mean? for about three years already. Okay. Um, and they had grown to become like the biggest ocean conservation group in New Zealand. Um, they had really like set themselves apart from others by just hosting these huge events. Um, they were able to get a lot of government funding and uh, they've been extremely successful. They've grown a lot. Um, we've grown to now have a group in Papua New Guinea and also in the Cook Islands as well. Um, but Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii remains like the only one in the United States, um, okay. the no- only one in the Northern Hemisphere. And our focus is very global. Um, even though it's Hawaii, we're dealing with a global problem because you look at our beaches and the vast majority of the stuff that's washing ashore, I'd say 90% of it, maybe more, is not from Hawaii. It's so where, where is it coming from? So the plastic pollution that we're getting on our coastlines, and I call it plastic pollution because that's pretty much what it is. Even the nets, the ropes, the buoys, um, you know, all the stuff that's washing up, it's all made out Derived of plastic. From plastic. Uh, so we call it plastic pollution because calling it marine debris or calling it marine litter doesn't do it justice okay. in the sense of the issue. Let's call it what it is. So we, I call it plastic pollution. So going forward, that's what I mean. Um, it's coming from mainly two things. Land. So that's the runoff from consumers on like residents or visitors, or whatnot, on land. It escaping the waste stream and flushing out into the ocean. So that could be something that drops into a street, into a storm drain, into a stream, and then flush out to sea. Or in a third world country where there aren't storm drains, it's just thrown on the ground, flushed into a stream, and out into the ocean. Um, And then the more insidious side is the commercial fishing aspect. So, or also just, you know, you got military, you have, cruise liners or, or just people out sailing, but it's mostly the commercial fishery that is dumping their trash into the ocean because nobody's looking. There are laws in the books that more or less say you are not allowed to discharge anything 
into the ocean. Yet, there's no police out there. So if nobody's watching, they throw it off. Uh, when you've got trash on board or old nets or ropes that are fraying and no longer useful, that represents weight. And weight represents gas and cost. And it also represents space on board that could be taken up by fish. So when they've got stuff that's no longer needed, they toss it overboard. And we find that all over our coastlines. And then just also you just have a lot of gear that just gets away from the fishermen. They're not trying to lose the gear. They really like it's expensive. It's it's valuable stuff to them, but it gets lost. Mm-hmm. Like how we lose our keys or whatever. Like things get lost. Yeah. Um, but there needs to be a better system to prevent that from happening. So it's better fishing practices and it's better regulation on the commercial fisheries when they're out at sea. Right now, I would say the amount of debris washing up on our coastlines is majority from commercial fishing, not from society's overuse of plastics. Not to say that we need to, that we shouldn't stop using so much plastics because we need to, but we should also be focusing on what we eat, where our fish is coming from, and starting to regulate the fishery, not only through actual legislation, but through supply and demand. Mm-hmm. They're only doing it because we're demanding it, right? We're, we're, we're the ones saying, hey, we want to be able to buy a poke bowl or poke from tomorrow's at eleven ninety nine a pound, right? So it's up to us to realize we are underpaying for what the real costs of tuna should be. So when you watch those shows, um, Wicked Tuna, and those they're going for like, I don't know, 20 plus dollars a pound on these big, I mean, is it because they're specific types of fish that are very different than what they're catching that goes in these little cans and of tuna? Or so there's, there's different types of tuna fisheries. The one that we're most concerned with are the Persane fishery. So that is a fishery that takes the giant nets that wrap around an entire school and harvest it that way. We're not talking about like the long line fishery, which has its own issues of indentured servitude and and those types of issues. Can you elaborate on that here in Hawaii? Because I was not aware of this. (laughs) Okay. Um, We have a long line fishery here in Hawaii that you see the boats leave from Honolulu Harbor. They're they're not huge. They're they're decent sized boats. Um, They go out for a couple weeks and they come back in. They fly under an American flag, and their captain is an American U.S. citizen. But the rest of the crew are, you know, um, nationals from Vietnam, Philippines, Indonesia, third world countries where they're getting paid like $10 a day instead of like $10 an hour. And actually, they should be getting paid like 30 bucks an hour mm-hmm. for what they're doing and what they're having to put up with on these boats. Mm-hmm. Anyways... They're told, so these boats, these companies go to these third world countries and they're like, hey, we're going to provide you this dream job out on the ocean. You're going to get to earn all this money and you're going to get to bring all that money back home. And when you look at it from that standpoint, it's probably $10 a day is way more than they, they would have made get. there, right? Yeah. But this is, this is what's happening. The, the captains or the companies take away their passports. They live on this boat. They get to come to Hawaii but they're put on that dock in Honolulu. So if anybody has a chance, go downtown, go to the harbor, and look at that one spot right before Liliha Bakery. There's a there's one dock, 
and it's got it's got barbed wire these boats are lined up on there one sunk last year and it was sitting halfway submerged Wait, for a couple months but there's nobody on it <laughs> nobody was on it at that point and you have to wonder why it sunk right there um anyways the the poor guys cannot leave that dock so they're like on the fence like it's like mexico and and the california or something like they can't go through and uh, all they get to do is is hang out on that dock you know and it's like they're getting and they're in america they're getting paid ten dollars a day how is this legal this is this is our long line fishery and this is what supplies our fish so the scary part is we're buying this locally sourced long line fish which we love it's poke you know it's like it's our and and this fish actually costs more than the other stuff so mm -hmm. when we when you go to tomorrow's or something and you're paying like the 15.99 a pound for local fish yeah that's what you, you feel for. oh man this is good i'm supporting the local fishery well it does taste better it's, it's fresher yeah, <laughs> it does yeah no no doubt i'm not mm -hmm. i'm not arguing that at all what i'm saying is you have to realize you're also supporting that type of practice mm -hmm. of having these poor guys live on this boat in, in squ squalid conditions and mm -hmm. and it's to me it doesn't seem fair mm -hmm. but on the other end if you were to go then buy the 11.99 cheaper, uh, cheaper version, version frozen that was previously, previously frozen that they add the carbon monoxide to give it that pink color you're supporting the persane fishery and that's so, where they're throwing the lines catching a whole bunch not lines the or, giant mean, net that, that is the yeah, size of yeah. like two football fields that could fit multiple 747 jets in like these things are huge and they don't just catch the tuna they catch everything else, else that was in yeah. there so the and bycatch so a lot of the it. bycatch gets just thrown right over because that's they're not interested in that even a marlin like that we would say oh that hajiki like that's good food like we eat that right mm -hmm. toss it over so what i'm trying to say is if you want to eat poke understand what it means if you're okay with it that's fine whatever you're you're an adult you make these choices but understand it and slowly you'll start to the more ethical ones of us will start to really understand there's better ways of doing it supporting the uncle and auntie or the the cousin or the co-worker or just the your neighbor the dude that goes out on the weekends and grabs yeah. a couple of tuna and then has a cooler and he's like, I'm selling blocks of tuna. I'm lucky to have a brother. Right? So <laughs> Who does that? that, if we support that type of fishery, it's so much more sustainable. It's somebody you know, it's somebody that you, you trust and it's supporting and keeping money here for local people and it doesn't support an industry that is leveraging slave labor on their boats. So what is exactly are you guys doing i guess to um either combat this or what do sustainable coastlines do i guess to what we do i know that we kind of went down a tangent that you're like that's okay is, i'm gonna how keep is going that down related? this because a lot of these things are yeah. things that we just don't know about yeah and like how is we that related to it. what you do Colin? and it should definitely put a little like bug in your ear about what's ethical what's moral yeah you know, the moral code for just human mankind in general. Yeah. Um, and I think that good outweighs evil. So eventually, if everybody knows, then hopefully we'll tilt a little bit more on the good yeah. side than the evil side. Yeah. <laughs> so in just short to, to conclude that aspect of this mm -hmm. conversation, because I, I, I don't want to um, 
just talk about commercial fishing, but let's just try to know our fishermen or know our fisherwoman, like know where your food's coming from. So now how do we at, at Sustainable Coastlines provide that context in what we do? We don't really talk that much about that type of stuff in depth because we don't have a lot of time when mm -hmm. we're with volunteers. What we're trying to do is provide that same experience that I had on the beach when I was looking out the horizon thinking that the beaches were clean. Mm -hmm. And when, you probably had something to do with it because you're helping. Right? Yeah, and, and when I my friend was saying, look closer, look at your feet, start picking this stuff up, that's when I started to have this what what's going on why is this happening and how do i stop it mm -hmm. it's that experience so we're trying to provide the experience that leaves the beach cleaner changed mm -hmm. we're not necessarily there to clean the beaches spotless we're there to provide that awakening experience and the lucky side effect of all of that is we leave the beach spotless mm -hmm. so that's what we are we are a change agent in providing an experience that creates awareness mm -hmm. okay and so you guys have different about how many um opportunities do you guys offer every year for any type of i guess volunteer work or things that you do so we provide seven large-scale cleanups per year so it's four on oahu and three on the neighbor islands um, the neighbor islands, it's, it's usually always Molokai, um, Kauai, and then either Maui or, or Hawaii Island. Um, kind of go back and forth. And uh, those cleanups, what we're talking about is like 400 to 2,000 people at a time. On the side of that, we also have smaller cleanups that happen almost weekly mm. um, where it's kind of like a pop-up hey there's a there's this net that needs some help we're going to go over there and tackle it if you're interested come join us meet us over there or we've got a bunch of debris that we need to sort out the recyclable plastic out of come and help us out mm -hmm. and all of these types of opportunities are translated through instagram and facebook um, so it's really just keeping up to date with what we're what's going on following you guys yeah 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 because when you follow how do you guys hear about this do people now come to you with these problems or are you guys just always the pulse of the people come to us they let us know about um hot spots that need attention okay. um and we either take care of it of ourselves or we collaborate like i'm, I'm wearing a surf rider shirt you know like yeah it's so all you about... partner with surf rider foundation yeah we, we, we collaborate with surf rider with kokua hawaii foundation 808 cleanups trees to seas like Almost any organization in Hawaii that wants to do cleanups and, and whatnot or is in this realm of what we do, we collaborate. Mm -hmm. um, because it's not about competition, it's collaboration. It um, there, there isn't time for infighting with nonprofit groups. No. It would rather just be like, do you want to work together? Great. If you don't want to work together, great. But <laughs> I'm not here to bicker. Yeah. We've got a mission. It's to stop all this plastic pollution from washing up on our shores. Let's work together towards that. So besides what I noticed too, is it's not just, you know, the stuff coming on the oceans because you guys not only deal with right on the shoreline and stuff coming onto the ocean, you're also, when you go do a beach cleanup, you go do a beach cleanup. I mean, you guys just get everything out of there. And a lot of times there is um, homeless on the beach and debris, everything that's been left from, 
you know, somebody, a lot of times there's been, there's sweeps with homeless and then it's just not fully cleaned up. Um, and I did stumble across your guys's, uh, one in Makua Beach. I think it was last year. Mm -hmm. That was the year before that, um, where you used to camp out. Can you elaborate more on that one? How that one is? Yeah. So the Makua cleanup, uh, originally stemmed from people wanting to raise awareness to the amount of unregulated camping and the trash left as a result of these giant parties happening on the beach. So we decided to do, in a sense, what Sustainable Coastlines New Zealand did, where let's all go out and camp, show how you can do it responsibly, and grab all the campers around that are there that weekend to participate in this cleanup activity. Because once you clean up, you're not going to want to dirty the place anymore, and you're going to transcend that type of um, experience to the next time you come or in the rest of your life and uh, that's how it started but that only represented one weekend of the in, whole year an entire year and uh, the impact that we had was minuscule um in changing that behavior yes it wasn't minuscule in the amount of debris that was removed because we removed close to like twenty thousand pounds of land-based debris that was left on these beaches. So the cleanup needed to happen. Um, but what happened after that was camping in general got stopped by DLNR. They put a, a stop on the gate, they started regulating um, and camping. Although I think it still happens here and there, it's not what it used to be. Um, and it's helped uh, minimize the impacts on pollution on these beaches so from a from a trash standpoint you have land-based debris and marine debris plastic pollution mm -hmm. right so it's 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 debris that came in from the ocean or debris that is from land on the beach mm -hmm. makua is 99 percent debris that was left on the beach every once in a while kona winds stir up so is that is, where do you see most of the plastic debris? from mokalaia yeah to um, like a little bit of Haleiwa, not really, but on that stretch. Mm -hmm. And then from Kahuku Point all the way to Makapu. So basically wherever there's manowar. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> is, it, like, is there certain times of the month that are worse? Like what, how does the, I mean, I guess it has something to do with Yeah, the... so it has to do with tidal flows and trade winds and surf. So Kahuku gets the worst um, impact of the debris and usually from November to April because of the big surf. Um, but it also um, always gets the most amount of debris because of its exposure to the trade winds. Mm. Um, I think it has a lot to do with the geography. And when you look at the way that the Koala mountain range is, um, the onshore winds from Makapu to about Kaneohe are, aren't as gnarly as they are up once you get like to Laie and and up to Kahuku Point and you're like the mountains are different there mm -hmm. too right like the Kola range goes goes inland a bit more okay and that brings a lot more straight direct trade wind flow right onto those coastlines and uh, that's so yeah it's, that's that's where you get the most marine debris okay so I mean, I guess that's why when you're out on Makaha side, like the beaches just look so nice. I mean, you don't see yeah. all the little tiny 
specks. Yeah. yeah, what you see are the tiny specks of um, Heineken bottle caps, cigarette butts. <laughs> well, those are much bigger specks. But <laughs> yeah, and Corona, Corona bottle tops. Yeah, you're, you're exactly. Like, so you're like, hey, Macaw is dirty because people use Macaw. Yeah. Whereas Kahuku is dirty because... The entire Pacific Rim is overusing plastic and demanding commercially fished seafood. Yeah. So then it's like, hey, West Side or, or any beach that is, it has offshore winds, like where the surf is good, yeah. right? Because of the offshore winds, the trash on those beaches are completely manageable by locals. Yes. We have the power to keep those beaches clean. Mm-hmm. So but- what I'm saying is, we, we need, need we can, <laughs> like, we can do this. Yeah. Whereas on the east side, it doesn't matter how much we stop using plastic or be responsible with our cigarette butts and our bottle caps, etc. It's not going to do dilly squat for those beaches. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah, so that's good to know because, I mean, I think overall, too, is when you, so when you guys do beach cleanups, are you looking, are you, you're doing both though, right? So you do one in Makua, which really ends up cleaning up for the public that has left it there. Mm-hmm. And then you have, do you guys do out one on the windward side too? And the, so Our side? Earth Day cleanup that we host, uh, it's from, we clean from Makapu'u all the way to uh, Bellows. Um, that's yeah. usually with about 1,500 people. Um, so yeah, we hit the east side. In the summertime, we do one in town. And that is... From usually we, we do Ala Moana um, and the Alawai Canal in the harbor. Wow. Um, and then we do one in, in the wintertime up in Kahuku. Oh, okay. So northeast, south, and west. Awesome. And is that something you're going to do regularly? Or are you gonna, yeah, that's, yeah, we've been doing that regularly, regularly for about seven years now. So before we go into um, some other things I want to talk about, um, the other thing too is, so we were talking about the you know, commercial fishing and stuff coming from there onto our shores. We talked about what we're doing, you know, ourselves and how we, you know, impact our shores. And then there's a lot of these other countries, a lot of them in Asia. So what, where's all their stuff coming? How's that going? What are we doing about that? Yeah. So there's a a report out that shows that like 90% of the ocean pollution from a solid waste all the plastics that are ending up in our oceans are coming from a few rivers in southeast asia so a lot of people um and a lot of brands and and politicians and and activists for that matter are pointing the fingers at these southeast asian countries um and these geographical locations where the trash is actually coming out i personally don't feel that that is pono um, what's happening there is you have individuals consuming all these products, single use products that have nowhere to throw them away. Um, before these single use pl- products uh, were around, they were using things that were made out of paper, out of, out of banana leaves or, or other leaves and, and whatnot, where if it went out to the ground, it wasn't a big deal. Um, another scary thing is like these third world countries, a lot of them can't buy an entire box of something at one one time so companies sell little satchels of these products like maybe it's even just bagged water um if it's maybe just like some soap or dish um laundry detergent etc 
they're all sold in these tiny little individual packets. Um, so what's happening here is, is multinational companies are setting up their factories in Southeast Asia. And these factories are making products to be exported to us here in first world countries. But while they're there, they're selling these same products in a way that the locals can also consume them. Problem is, they don't have the waste infrastructure to deal with the externalities of these products that are being sold to them. So when I say externalities, I mean what happens to the product after they're done using them. Mm -hmm. Here in the U.S., those externalities are dealt with with our robust waste management system. Which, which didn't we, at some point, if I'm not mistaken, we were selling all of our stuff to China for recycling. Is that right? Yes. I, don't know for, I think they're not wanting it anymore yes, they because put they up have a, their own, right? <laughs> they've put up what's called the green wall that is now blocking the import of recyclable material to mm -hmm. China. Um, but the small countries and all the ones on a smaller scale in rural areas, you're saying, have no place for it. They have no place yeah. to put this trash. That uh, they're now getting from these places producing them. Yeah, and, then, and they're doing this because they're emulating a Western lifestyle of this throwaway culture, this lifestyle of convenience that we've adopted to make our lives easier in the short term. But it's now coming back to bite us in the okole uh, <laughs> as a result of the trash and the pollution. And now what we're finding out, the health implications from plastics getting out of our waste stream. So are those companies, I guess, are they aware of what they're doing? Are they trying to combat it? Are there other people or organizations tackling this by any means? Companies are totally aware of what they're doing. But for them to take it on from a redesign of the way they do business is too much an investment in their minds to make it worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So what they do is invest in nonprofit organizations, in campaign contributions that allow them to perpetuate the status quo. Okay. So what I mean by that is they push for things like recycling. They push for incineration whereas they should be pushing for redesigning their products so that the externalities don't have the same consequences as plastic now. or whatnot yeah. so what they would rather do is burn the problem away so that you got to buy more of it or recycle it so that we feel like we're doing the right thing although when you recycle plastic if a plastic bottle is never going to become a plastic bottle again. It only gets downcycled. So plastic gets recycled until it's not recycled anymore, and then it's burnt or put in the landfill or escapes out into the environment. Whereas glass and aluminum can infinitely be continually recycled into products. Like a can can be a can, a bottle can become a bottle, but not with plastic. So recycling plastic is a slow motion process to the landfill incinerator fish's belly or our dinner plate yeah so when we have that little cup on it that says the little green thing and it says it's like a better plastic it's still it's still a problem it's very much a problem and that opens up a whole new can of worms because usually when they have that little leaf on it 
it means that they've inserted some plant material into the plastic to call it a green bottle. This is what we call greenwashing. It's complete greenwashing because what they've done is said, this is an environmentally conscious package. Feel free to consume it and not, not have feel bad. Not feel because bad. you're supporting green initiatives. But that green bottle is not recyclable like the other full 100% plastic because it has this plant material in it. They also talk about creating this, this plastic that if it gets into the ocean, it'll biodegrade. Well, you know what? It's the green part that biodegrades, so that the, the plant-based material biodegrades, but that plastic is still there, so it breaks up quicker. And it doesn't break down. Plastics don't break down. They break up. People break need up. to stop saying, well, when plastics get in the ocean, they break down into smaller and smaller pieces. No. Plastics break up into smaller and smaller pieces. So it's like really focusing on the semantics. It doesn't disappear. It turns into a whole bunch of confetti yeah. on the beaches, right? Yeah. So, yeah, definitely understand that. So I guess the other avenue that I was interested in talking about was uh, private funding versus, versus government funding. Um, I think across the board, nonprofits tackle this um some of them i'm i'm on the catholic charities of hawaii's board and you know they have majority government funding and there's always you know hurdles that you have to tackle when you're with um government funding yeah. and then there's also um things that you have to tackle with private funding so where where do you guys stand for um your nonprofit sustainable coastlines from our standpoint from a funding a mechanism we try to focus on private foundations, um, donations from our supporters, um, creating programs that drive revenue to help us do what we do versus focusing on government grants. Like you're saying, they're extremely onerous. Um, there's reporting levels that really take away from you actually getting your work done. Mm -hmm. And you can't blame them. There's been some bad apples that have abused the system and have now negated our ability to really use government funds to better the best yeah. like way. Like we we get stuck spending close to twenty five percent of our time reporting on the grant instead of them just being like, "You guys have been vetted. We know you're not going to waste our money. Go for it. Get yeah. the work done." Yeah. So, what does I guess New Zealand do? Because they get a lot of government funding. You said. So they end up spending a lot of their time reporting on their government funding. Okay. And um, just, I guess, to have a you perception of like where Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii lies, you guys are, like we said, there's, it's not a charter or, um, you know, a global specific, you know, like um, individual, you guys are individual here, but then you're talking about potential expansion. Could you elaborate on that? So like I, like I said earlier in a little bit, I'd like to, oh, sorry, maybe jack the camera there. <laughs> um, the, even if we tackle our own issues here with single-use plastics, littering, um, overconsumption, et cetera, it won't make that much of a short-term, if any, impact on our east side coastlines because this debris is coming Correct. from all around the Pacific Rim. We also can't point the fingers at these third world countries where this trash is coming from 
when it's our own companies and these companies we invest in in the stock market Why that are driving driving this production <laughs> along with we can't point the fingers if we're not leading by example so there's there's multiple prongs to us tackling this solution and one of it is us leading by example and showing these third world countries that you can live without all these single use plastics and then secondarily it's about us educating them about this issue so our expansion efforts are going to be in this representing sustainable coastlines hawaii across the pacific rim in an educational standpoint so having people out there with the sustainable coastlines hat on t-shirt on going to the schools going to the governments going to these community groups and sharing what's happening in hawaii and how they can help us keep our beaches clean clean through improving their waste management, but even better through in improving their consumer behavior choices. So you guys are just going to jump on the Hokulea and then just go around. The <laughs> that would be awesome. We talk to Nainoa. Yeah. Uncle, let's, let's go. <laughs> yeah, that would be rad. That would be actually, that would be pretty, that would be an interesting um, endeavor if you guys do yeah. something like that. Because they, they do that everywhere they go, right? They're you know, talking about what it and, is And the do. thing's already been around the world, so, yeah. you know, it'd be seaworthy. Sea yeah, see where all this stuff goes, too. Um, I think a couple more things. What um, that I wanted to talk about is maybe a little more on the controversial side and um, the corporate, the corporate side of things um, okay. and how that potentially or most likely hinders our progression, you know, our, you know, our moral ethical code or what we need to do, um, whether it's lobbying or whether it's, you know, those type of things. And who, who are the real big, um, showstoppers, I guess, the ones that kind of Gestapo's maybe I should say <laughs> that, um, yeah. maybe, maybe we just need to look a little more into it. Yep. Um, you know, read a little bit more and educate ourselves on so we can see the bigger picture and we're not just siloed in this little bubble mm -hmm. that we've been in for so long. Yeah. Um, Maybe you can elaborate on that. Yeah. Uh, it all stems from the fact that plastic's made out of oil. And I think a lot of people don't realize why it's so hard to legislate for something like a single plastic bag ban or the straw ban or styrofoam. Um, the fact that plastics are made out of oil means that any legislation to minimize the amount of plastics created and used is an affront to the entire oil industry. Now you're talking about the lobbying arm for the oil industry or for the plastics industry for that matter, which is the American Chemistry Council. They have pockets deeper than anybody in this, in this world of what we, what we call this plastic world. Um, so anytime we try to come up with legislation that's going to push against the industry from making plastics gets matched and then squashed from a funding standpoint mm -hmm. by the other side that's saying you're taking away jobs, you're um, making lives more difficult, you're um, slowing the ability for tax revenue um, and just that's what we have to fight against. Um, but when you take it to the next level, you're talking about our capitalistic democracy mm -hmm. and how we 
have defined the fact that corporations are people through Citizens United, the Supreme Court ruling that allows corporations to make political contributions that are not regulated through the use of super PACs. That may be our biggest hurdle and at the same time biggest opportunity to give the power back to the people instead of it being held by the corporations that have the deepest pockets to influence elections through campaign contributions. Mm -hmm. That was a mouthful. <laughs> but I, I definitely agree. Rewind that part. Listen to it over again. <laughs> what In short, what it's saying is, let's get money out of politics and give the power back to the voter, to the people, not to the company that gives the most money to the politician yeah. and, to do what they want. And the only way that's going to happen is if we do, honestly, it is a grassroots effort where you know, organizations like you guys and people are actually just educating the public. Um, I've noticed for, you know, been working with millennials and um, with the Chamber of Commerce of Hawaii for their young professional program started up about seven, eight years ago now. But just, you know, within that, I'm a Gen Xer, but, you know, the millennials are, you know, sweeping the nation here with um, who they are and what they're capable of. And so, who they are and what they're capable of, everything that they've grown up into is this tech world, right? So obviously they're able to um, see a lot more than we ever did. And, you know, the blinders are off now for them. They travel a lot more. So they're seeing the third world countries. You traveled, you know, you you aren't here today because, you know, you're here today because you did all these traveling yeah. and you saw what it was really like. And I think more and more of us are in that capacity. So if we're just educated about it, we see what it's really like, um, and it's not just this conspiracy theory. You know, I think yeah. a lot of people just kind of shove it under the rug, like, oh, that's oh, not it's real. Fake news. This isn't real. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but to, to everybody now, it's like, go out there and, and see it for yourself. Um, just like go to the beaches on the east side, look at it, you know, yeah. you know, see these specific things happening and then, you know, digging a little deeper. I think that's going to put us in a place where, you know, it is going to be based off of a vote on us, you know, regardless of how much money goes mm -hmm. out the door. Because as long as our country is free and we're still voting, we'll have a say. <laughs> but <laughs> if we all actually it's get already to been that proven place. that given the right um, levers of controversy, our minds can be easily adjusted to vote one way or the other. That's true. So that's why it's so important to get educated on the real issues and for us we do that simply by providing the experience and uh, show you firsthand what's happening to what we would call paradise mm -hmm. and it's being decimated by the overconsumption of plastics and the overconsumption of commercial fish seafood and let you start taking the next steps mm -hmm. to figuring out what do i do about it yeah. Um, so that's what we're all about at Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii. And uh, you may think you're just coming out to clean a beach, but you're actually there to be awakened. Awesome. I guess I'm going to wrap it up there. That's all I have for you today. And thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast at www.smartlivinghigh.com. And then we also follow us on Instagram at smart underscore living underscore Hawaii and then check us out on Facebook, like us there and check out Sustainable Coastlines and their next 
next event. I know this will probably air after your um, Moko Beach, but you do have one coming up. We have cleanups happening all the time, so the best way to figure out when the next one is is just go to our website, sustainablecoastlineshawaii.org, or even easier, just follow us along on Instagram at Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii. Awesome. Thank you so much. Live smart.